Radio.com presents stories of mystery and intrigue, espionage and suspense. Hear tales of ticking time bombs, mysterious crime scenes, and cloak and dagger action. This is Relic Radio Thrillers. Broadcasting Company invites you by transcription to join the chase. There is always the hunter and the hunted, the pursuer and the pursued. It may be the voice of authority or a race with death and destruction, the most relentless of the hunters. There are times when laughter is heard as counterpoint and moments when sheer terror is the theme. Always there is the chase. And who joins the chase as remorselessly as the man with murder in his heart? I record these events in my diary as they occurred, as a purge to my conscience, perhaps. But when it all began so many months ago, no man felt less beholden to his conscience than Gilbert Fox. It was on a grey November day in London that I decided to murder Frank Pickett. The name wasn't even known to me that morning as I awoke, bathed and dressed as usual, before leaving for my shop on Savile Row. But at 8.45, as I joined my wife Lavinia for breakfast in our flat, Frank Pickett became the one man on earth I hated and despised enough to kill. Good morning, Lavinia. Good morning. Breakfast ready? I'm a bit late today. I'm sorry you didn't wake me earlier. Sit down, Gilbert. There's something I want to tell you. Oh. Will you pour me some tea, please? The tea can wait. Uh, What's the matter with you, Lavinia? Are you ill? No. You look upset. You'll find out why in just a moment if you let me speak. What's wrong, my dear? I'm leaving you. Oh, what? I'm leaving you, going away. I'm getting a divorce. Oh, there's no time of day for jokes, Lavinia. I'm not joking. I mean every word I say. When you return from work this afternoon, I shall be gone. But, but why? What have I done? Nothing. We've only been married three months, Lavinia. This is unbelievable, incredible. It can't be true. But it is. But I, I love you madly, Lavinia. You know that. I've always known. And you... you said once that you'd loved me. Well, I was wrong. Wrong? I don't want to be melodramatic about this, and I'll try to be honest with you. When I married you, I thought this was what I wanted. A West End flat, a husband who adored me and who provided me with a fairly decent existence. But I was mistaken. Were you? I want more than this, Gilbert. And most of all, I want romance. I love the... Oh, how can I explain? You'd never understand. No, no. Please go on. I'll make it brief and to the point. I've met another man. I'm crazy about him, and he's very rich. I'm going to marry him after I get my divorce from you. I see. You... 
You wouldn't contest the divorce, would you? I get it in America. Then he's an American? Yes. What's his name? Well, that's not important. I want to know his name. Gilbert, you're hurting my arm. <sighs> when are you leaving? In about an hour. And I won't see you again? No. You still won't tell me who the man is? Of course not. Very well, Lavinia. Goodbye. You're going? I'm uh, late for the shop, as it is. I'll, um, I'll only take my personal things. Everything else is yours, Gilbert. Everything else? What have I left after you're gone? Gilbert. Goodbye, Lavinia. And good luck with your new romance. I'd always known, of course, that our love affair was one-sided. I loved my beautiful Lavinia with a passion that bordered on insanity. She was my life, my happiness, the very air I breathed. I had only dared to hope that she returned a small particle of that affection. And if she hadn't met this other man, I might have kept her with me forever. Oh, I knew I couldn't win her back, but I could do the next best thing to satisfy the sudden gnawing in my vitals. I could have the satisfaction of putting my rival in his grave. When I left our flat, I stepped outside and waited across the street. An hour later, Lavinia emerged, holding a suitcase, and hailed a cab. I waited until she stepped inside, hailed a second cab myself, and then followed her to a Strand Hotel. And I was only a few feet away from her when I heard her mention his name. Mr. Frank Pickett, please. Will you tell him Mrs. Fawkes is waiting in the lobby? For a moment, my blood rose and my mouth grew dry and hot. Without thinking clearly, I turned and left the lobby. And then I hailed another cab. There was a shop I knew, a rather disreputable place in the shabbiest section of Soho, where, according to rumor, a man might purchase a variety of things. Help you, Governor? Uh, yes, if you will. I'm looking for a gun. A gun, Governor? A revolver, preferably a large caliber. It's against the law to sell firearms, Chappie. Well, I uh, was sent here by a friend. He told me it was possible to buy almost anything from you. Yes, I... I guess it is. Providing you've got the funds, so to speak. I'll pay whatever you ask. Offer mo, Governor. Now, here's a beauty. Italian make. And guaranteed. Uh, guaranteed to what? To please, Governor. I don't know what you've got in mind, and I don't want to hear about it. But if it's workmanship you're looking for, this Beretta's your job. Um, how much? Fifty quid. Fifty? With the ammo thrown in. That's an outrageous price. Then maybe you'd better buy your firearms from the police, Governor. No, wait. Wait, I, I'll take it. Uh, yeah. It's just about all the money I own. You're getting a bargain, Governor. No mistake about that. And happy hunting. 
I returned immediately to Frank Pickett's hotel with a revolver heavy in my pocket. I had no plan in mind except to meet him face to face and blow the top of his skull clear off his rotten head. Yes, sir? What room is Mr. Frank Pickett in, please? Mr. Pickett? Just a moment, sir. Mr. Pickett has just checked out. He did? Where did he go? He left no forwarding address. But he must have... I, I believe he took the boat train to Southampton. He's taking the Queen to New York. The next train to Southampton was two hours later. And as I paced the station platform, my seething, unreasonable hatred was matched only by my sense of frustration at having missed him. But I vowed I'd find him. I swore I'd kill him if I had to chase him to the very ends of the earth. And it looked as if I'd be forced to do just that because the Queen was sailing out of the harbor as I finally reached the wharf. That was five years ago. And I lived those five years like a man sealed up in a cave. I worked, I ate, I slept mechanically. I did these things while I waited, waited for the chance to soothe my wounded pride. And while I waited, my mind grew more and more cunning. I saw how foolish my first impulse had been to meet him head on with a gun in my hand and a noose hanging over my head. There were other ways to skin this cat... And I studied them carefully. Miss? Yes? I'm looking for a book in the library catalogue. Uh, perhaps you can help me. What is the title, please? Uh, the Most Famous Murder Trials in History. Let me see. That would be under M for murder. Here we are. The catalogue number is 37X6. You'll find it on the last shelf over there, in the corner. Oh, uh, thank you. I'll find it. I pored over books on the art of murder and all its phases. I made criminology my passion and homicide my avocation. I read and reread countless volumes on the mistakes that had been made by murderers in the past. Only one thing was still unsettled in my mind, and that was the weapon. And on the day I discovered that, my quarry returned to England. Amiz? Yes, sir? I wish to renew this volume. Just one moment, sir. The Use and Effects of Toxic Poisons. Very well, sir. You can keep the book for another two weeks. Uh, thank Hello. you. Hello, Lavinia, this is Frank. Uh, I'm at the library, yeah. Oh, there was some information I needed. Yeah, I signed the sir, lease to the house. Sir, can move uh, well, in this week. your card. Oh, oh uh, yes. <laughs> yes, Lavinia. Thank you. Yeah. I settled everything with the agent, too. It's the house you wanted. <laughs> Number 17, Brighton Road. You, you can see it this afternoon, if you like. Uh, look, when you call the agent, just tell him you're Frank Pickett's wife. He was at an open-pay telephone. 
a big man with a rather handsome face. He must have been about 45. It was an incredible coincidence, and yet somehow I always knew it would happen. I'd been notified of our divorce almost five years before, and I'd received Lavinia's final note saying they intended to live in America for good. But I knew I'd get my chance. I was sure of it. And now Pickett had fallen right into my hands like an overripe plum. One week later, I appeared at 17 Brighton Road. It was a large house, ostentatious. He was evidently very rich. I watched the house from the outside for three full days, and late the fourth afternoon, my patience was rewarded. For the service door opened, and a housemaid stepped out, holding a poodle dog on a leash. I followed her across the street into a little park, where I saw her sit down on a bench and take out a cigarette. I say, uh, may I offer you a light? And who may you be? Um, Charles Brooks is my name. Never heard of you. But, uh, I've been watching you. You have? Uh, please, now, don't be alarmed. I, um, I live nearby, across the street. I've seen you come and go from the big brown house over there, and, uh, well, I've been anxious to know just who you are. You know, I, I think you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, uh, Miss... Uh... You're a queer one, you are. Please, may I sit down? Have a seat, Mr. Brooks. My name's Eliza. She was stupid and vain, and she suited my plans to perfection. I was careful when I met her, knowing that Lavinia could recognize me. But within a week, I knew as much about Pickett's daily routine as he knew himself. And I was finding Eliza a very helpful, if innocent, accomplice. I can spend the rest of the afternoon with you, Charlie. The missus is going away. Is she? Well. She's taken two weeks in Paris to do some shopping. She's the lucky one, all right. Married to a man with a million quid. Some women are just born with a silver spoon. Um, when is uh, Mrs. Pickett leaving, Eliza? She's gone already, and a good thing, too. There was an awful row inside the house this afternoon. The master gave Edward the sack. Edward? You mean Mr. Pickett's valet? Yes. He's been taking one nip too many from the master's liquor closet. I'm glad he's gone. I never Has re- uh, Mr. Pickett employed anyone yet to take his place, Eliza? Not that I know of. Then will you put in a good word for me? You? Yes, yes, I'd like the job. But you told me you were a clerk, not a gentleman's gentleman, Charlie. I can do both, Eliza. And besides, I'll be closer to you. Is that why you want the job, Charlie? Of course. Your sweet lovey. All right. I'll put in a word for you as soon as I go back. I'll tell Mr. Pickett you're my cousin. He likes me, I think. And it ought to clinch it for you, Charlie. You have no idea how much this means to me. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. The next day, Eliza informed me that Pickett would grant me an interview. At last, I stood before him in his ornate drawing room face to face with the one man I despise most in all this world. My fingers itched to grasp his throat, and it was only with a desperate effort that I prevented myself from squeezing the life out of him then and there. Oh, yes, your name Brooks? Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, Liza told me you were looking for a position as a valet. Uh, I am, sir. 
I've been a gentleman's gentleman for the past ten years. Mm -hmm. And I can say, sir, in all modesty, that my references are more than satisfactory. Ah? Well, what are they? I have written references in my quarters, Mr. Pickett, from the Earl of Halstead, for whom I worked during the war. Oh, that's so. And before that time, I was employed by the Duke of Sandrews uh -huh. and the Marquis... Okay, well, that's all right. I'm convinced. What salary do you want, hmm? Uh, what salary do you offer, Mr. Pickett? Well, I'll give you $45... Uh... That's 15 pounds a week. Is that all right? You're bored, of course. That is eminently satisfactory, Mr. Pickett. When shall I start, sir? Now. Now. He said it so casually. And yet, if he knew, it was like a man who was inaugurating his own last rite. I had two weeks before Lavinia was to return. Two weeks before I could be recognized. But I was certain that Mr. Frank Pickett Esquire would never live to see the end of those two weeks. My plan was simple. In my years of research, I had discovered a toxic poison which was completely soluble in any liquid and it was also tasteless. Moreover, its effect was rapid. And in any medical examination that did not involve a complete post-mortem, the primary cause of death appeared to be acute heart failure. My only problem would be to get it into his food in some way. And there was always my stupid, ostrich-faced Eliza to unwittingly help me on that score. Evening, Eliza. Oh, it's you, Charlie. Um, is the master eating upstairs tonight? He's not feeling too well, and I'm taking this tray of food up to him. Now, out of my way, if you please. I'm in a hurry. Now, Eliza, that's not very nice. Isn't it? Well, why are you being so short with me? Why? You're asking why? After the way you've been treating me? Since you got this job, you've been avoiding me like the plague. And I've got me pride, I'll have you know. Now, put down that tray. I, I, I want to talk to you. The master's waiting. Eliza, put it down. Well. Now then, look at me. I won't. Come along now. Turn that pretty face of yours and look into my eyes. Oh, Charlie. When you kiss me like that, Charlie, I could almost die. My dear, so could I. All right. Now, out of me way. The master's waiting for his dinner. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, bring it up to him, Eliza. And be careful with the tray. Don't drop it. It was while I kissed her that I managed to plant the poison, a soft white powder. And as I shook it over a small hamburger patty on one of the plates, I kept Eliza's mouth pressed to mine and her eyes averted. She returned about five minutes later and her tray was empty. Everything all right, Eliza? Charlie. Is the master's appetite up to snuff? He's as hungry as an horse he is. And he was grumpy with me, too, because I brought up his tray a little late. But now I've got more time for you, Charlie. I suppose I help you with those dishes. Why, oh, Charlie, how nice of you. It'll be just like... just as if we were in our own home, won't it? Our own little love nest, so to speak. Uh, yes. I'll wash and you dry, Charlie. Right on. You know, Charlie... Some people have more cheek 
especially Americans. Oh, I'd say they're rather nice people in the whole, once you get to know them. Well, this one's as small as they come, I can tell you that. Oh, why? Well, take that hamburger, for instance. Uh, the one you brought up to him tonight? Imagine him having that sent up, with the meat being so short here and rationed and all. Well, if Mr. Pickett enjoys a bit of hamburger now and then, you can't deny him. If he enjoyed it, I wouldn't talk. What do you mean? That hamburger I just brought up was for Mrs. Pickett's poodle dog. Charlie, you dropped a plate. Excuse me, Eliza. I'll be back in just a moment. There's something important I just remembered upstairs. I raced up the staircase three at a time with my heart beating like a trip hammer and my head in a whirl. His dog. If his dog took that poison, he'd keel over inside of three minutes, and the investigation would destroy any further chance I had to get at Pickett. As I reached the door, I had to command all my self-control to restrain myself from bursting in without knocking. I pulled myself together at the last moment and kept my head. Come in. Excuse me, sir, but uh, I, I wanted to know if there was anything you wished before you retired. Mm, no. No, nothing, thank you. Is the dinner satisfactory? Good enough. What, what are you looking for? Sir? Why are you looking around the room in that silly way? Well, oh, I uh, missed your poodle, sir. I was wondering oh, if... Oh, he'll be around as soon as he gets hungry. That hamburger steak on the floor is for him. Uh, yes, I see it, sir. And uh, I see it hasn't been touched. Yeah, hamburger for a dog. If I had my way... What are you doing? I'll find the poodle and give this to him, Mr. Pickett. Don't bother. Oh, don't bother at all, sir. Well, <laughs> what makes you so concerned about that ridiculous hound, Brooks? Oh, well, sir, I, um, I've always had a soft spot for animals, and I rather like him, if I may say so, sir. Well, there's no accounting for taste, is there? All right, feed him if you want it. It's all right with me. My luck stayed with me, and as I dumped the poison mess into the garbage, I breathed a sigh of relief. But now I had to wait for another opportunity to put an end to Pickett's career. And once again it came to me, through Eliza's innocent help. A package was delivered on the following day from a confectioner's downtown. It was a chocolate assortment. And as I unwrapped the package, I realized that my second chance had come. What you doing, Charlie? Oh, oh I, I'm just uh, unwrapping this package. It arrived a few minutes ago. Oh, chocolate. Uh, yes. You've got a sweet tooth, that one. The chocolates are for Mr. Pickett? Naturally. I thought they uh, might have been for his wife. He likes to eat candy when he reads in bed, just before he turns in for the night. I do too, but... I've got to keep an eye on my figure. And a lovely figure it is, Eliza. You think so? Decidedly. <laughs> you certainly talk like a top, you do. <laughs> but I like it, Charlie. You sound like a real gentleman. Um, what shall we do with these chocolates, Eliza? I'd like to sink my teeth in them, that's what. But the best thing to do is to leave them on the night table next to his bed. Well, I'll put them there myself. Is he uh, coming home for dinner this evening? No, he's dining out, he said. But I expect he'll be back pretty early. The mistress is coming home. She is? When? This evening. How do you know? She phoned this afternoon while you were gone. I heard him speak to her. She got tired of Paris, I guess. 
She'll be back by nine, she said. Nine? And it's seven now. Lavinia. Lavinia was coming back. There was no time for delicacies like poisoned chocolates now. I had to act, and to act fast. I stepped over to the liquor closet and opened the bar. The highball glasses caught my eye, so I slipped a heavy dose of the poison powder into the nearest glass and then closed the bar. And then I waited as the minutes ticked by for Frank Pickett to return and drink a toast to his own demise. Good evening, Mr. Pickett. Ah, good evening, Brooks. Your coat, sir. Yeah. Would you like a drink, sir? Uh, no, I don't think so, thanks. Uh, uh, whiskey and soda, perhaps, sir? No, I don't... Well, well, all right, yeah, I think I could use one. I'll make it myself. Well, allow me, sir. Say when, sir. Oh, that's enough, that's enough. Very good, sir. Oh, uh... Look, that, that must be Mrs. Pickett. Answer the door, Brooks, will you? The, the door, sir? Yeah. Why are you standing there like an idiot? Let my wife in. Uh, of course, Mr. Pickett. I stepped into the vestibule, my hands as cold as ice. Once Lavinia caught sight of me, the game was over. I placed my hand on the knob, turned it, and quickly stepped behind the door, out of sight as it opened. She marched in without giving me a single glance and went straight for the drawing room. But my Lavinia, my beautiful Lavinia, had completely changed. Well, I'm back. Say something. Yes, well, well, what do you want me to say? Nothing. All you've ever said as long as I've known you. You, uh, been drinking again. Well, what of it? You want a divorce because of that? <laughs> you wanted a divorce for a long, long time, haven't you? Well, try and get it, my precious American prize. Just try and get it. Lavinia, you know how... How unreasonable you can get when you're drinking. Oh, shut vinegar. up. Tired of hearing that same old lie. All right. If you don't like the way I drink, divorce me. But first, you'll settle a million quid on me, loving spouse. One million and not a farthing less. Oh, sleepy. I'm going to bed. As I looked at her and listened, something happened to me. I, I discovered I didn't hate pickets any longer. I even started to feel sorry for them. And then I felt a sort of exaltation. I found myself indebted to Pickett for taking her off my hands. And then suddenly, suddenly I remembered the highball I'd given him, the poison drink. And I rushed into the room just as he was raising it to his lips. Mr. Pickett! What? You fool, are you crazy? You knocked that glass right out of my hand. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I, uh, I don't think I'm a very efficient gentleman's gentleman after all, and perhaps I'd better tender my resignation. Oh, 
You're just as crazy as my wife. Old darn world's crazy. It's all out of kilter. And I gotta put up with it all. I'm sorry, sir. At one time, I thought that only I was unlucky. But now I see how better off I really am. What are you talking about? Nothing, sir. Nothing of importance anymore. I think I'll pack my things and leave, Mr. Pickett. But first, let me mix you another whiskey and soda. One that I'm most certain you'll enjoy, sir. Much more than you would have. The last one. In the animal world, there is the hunter and the hunted. Hound and fox, hawk and sparrow, cat and mouse. We in the topmost species have also joined the hunt. But who is to judge precisely which of us are hounds or foxes as we enter the chase? The Chase was created and written for the National Broadcasting Company by Lawrence Cleave. Featured in today's cast was Ivor Francis, with Kathleen Cordell, June Peel, Stotts Cotsworth, and John Stanley. The Chase is directed and transcribed by Fred Way, Fred Collins speaking. Next week, greed and ambition become the driving forces when the sound of murder is heard on The Chase. <laughs> 